Hello world, this is Roger Corvale and this is For the Hope. Here we read through the Bible conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. To be sure, one thing about Scripture is that some parts are more clear and some are less clear. And one of the approaches for how we deal with that is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. And there's a reason why, and that's one reason why, we do things differently here in terms of how we read together. Hey, Hopeful, welcome to For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, where we read through every single word of God's revelation in Scripture of himself and consider our own life and work stories in light of that, including how Scripture just helps us see relationship and time, like like past, present, and future, and the God of covenant who might have just invented the whole thing. Right, So this time through our Old Testament, we've been reading approximately chronologically. So we might, as like we're doing today in the next few days, pause the book of Ezra and pick up with Haggai, which took place during the second year of King Persia's King Darius. And there's a key theme that we begin to pick up in Ezra. Right, Remember, they, the exiles have returned and want to start rebuilding Jerusalem. And there is, in a sense, in an overall theme, an encouragement to patience and faithfulness and as a warning against being deflected by external issues. So importantly, to that open, opening point about Scripture, illuminating Scripture, we're going to try to gain a fuller picture by reading together the relevant parts. So not only is that parts of Ezra and Haggai, but tomorrow we'll pick up the early chapters of Zechariah. Today, though, We're going to begin and end with a wisdom segment that would kind of fit right with the end of yesterday's Old Testament reading. Um, And I want you to remember that, that in Ezra, the people not only encounter this, uh, this opposition, but ultimately, spoiler alert, eventually they overcome this to complete at least the main part of the task at hand, rebuilding the temple. And this pattern though, in and of itself can serve as this encouragement to patience and faithfulness for you and I about being deflected by external problems. And it's a good time to remember just the nature of relationship, which almost throughout um, Ezra and, and into Nehemiah, with only one little exception in Nehemiah, interestingly paints the Persian kings in a positive light. So just keep all that and that's an extended opening, but with that, let's get, let's get to our, uh, our reading. This is Psalm 92. A psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praise to your name, Most High, to declare your faithful love in the morning and your faithfulness at night with a ten-stringed harp and the music of a lyre. For you have made me rejoice, Lord, by what you have done. I will shout for joy because of the works of your hands. How magnificent are your works, Lord! How profound your thoughts! A stupid person does not know. A fool does not understand this. Though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be eternally destroyed. 
but you, Lord, are exalted forever. For indeed, Lord, your enemies, indeed your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You have lifted up my horn like that of a wild ox. I have been anointed with the finest oil. My eyes look at my enemies when evildoers rise against me. My ears hear them. The righteous thrive like a palm tree and grow like a cedar tree in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they thrive in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age, healthy and green, to declare, The Lord is just. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. And that is Psalm 92. So, with that, we're going to turn the page and... um, Knock down Matthew chapter 23. And we're heading toward the climax, of course. And um, I'm just going to read it and let it speak for itself today. Though I may butt in ski at one point or two because, well, you know me. Can't help myself. Matthew 23. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it. But don't do what they do, because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be seen by others. They enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love the place of honor at banquets and the front seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called rabbi by people. But you are not to be called rabbi because you have one teacher, capital T. You are not to be called rabbi because you have one teacher, and you are all brothers and sisters. Do not call anyone on earth your father because you have one father who is in heaven. You are not to be called instructors either because you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you don't go in, and you don't allow those entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to make one convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever takes an oath by the temple, it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gold of the temple, the gold of the temple is bound by his oath. Blind fools! For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold. Also, you say, whoever takes an oath by the altar, it means nothing, but whoever takes an oath by the gift that is on it is bound by his oath. Blind people, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, the one who takes an oath by the altar takes an oath by it and everything on it. The one who takes an oath by the temple takes an oath by it and by him who dwells in it. And the one who takes an oath by heaven takes an oath by God's throne and by him 
who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, and yet you have neglected the important, the more important matters of law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. Blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but gulp down a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we wouldn't have taken part with them in the shedding of the prophet's blood. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your ancestors' sins. Snakes, brood of vipers, how can you escape being condemned to hell? This is why I am sending you prophets, sages, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town, so all the righteous blood shed on the earth will be charged to you, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I tell you, all these things will come on this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Matthew chapter 23. You ever wonder why we trust the Old Testament as inspired scripture too? Well, you know, it's in the red words. <laughs> if Jesus did, we should too. So we turn back to Hezekiah. Uh, Hezekiah. Here I just combined Haggai and Zechariah. Um, just as noted before, and you probably figured this out, but Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah were near contemporaries, right? So Haggai's theological vision balances this past and present and future, and it's anchored in both the, the covenantal promises and the end times or eschatological vision of previous biblical writers, and it therefore links the covenant promise, meaning past, and covenant obedience to, well, the current trouble, that Israel is experiencing and future blessing. And it claims that what is to come begins now with obedient servants of Yahweh. And in many ways, therefore, it kind of stresses what we hear even today from preachers and maybe a podcast host, that there are now 
and not yet aspects of life and promise and and eschaton, meaning this beginning with the end in mind that mark the whole of Scripture. And in a way, there's little difference between the Old Testament and New Testament's approach to prophetic promises. So there we go. The book of Haggai, all in one sitting. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. The Lord of armies says this, These people say, The time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now the Lord of armies says this, Think carefully about your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. The Lord of armies says this, Think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills, bring down lumber, and build the house, and I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. Why? This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Because my house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. So on your account, the skies have withheld the dew. Pause. On your account, catch that part. So on your account, the skies have withheld the dew and the land its crops. And I have summoned a drought on the hills and fields, on the grain, new wine, fresh oil, and whatever the ground yields, on people and animals, and on all that your hands produce. The people's response. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the high priest, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the entire remnant of people obeyed the Lord their God, and the words of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, so the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, delivered the Lord's message to the people. I am with you. This is the Lord's declaration. The Lord roused the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, the spirit of the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they began to work on the house of the Lord of armies, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month, in the second year of King Darius. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem like to you like nothing by comparison? Even so, be strong, Zerubbabel. This is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. Work, work, for I am with you. The declaration of the Lord of armies. This is the promise I made to you when I came out of Egypt, and my spirit is present among you. 
don't be afraid. For the Lord of armies says this, Once more in a little while I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. The silver and the gold belong to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of armies. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. I'm going to say one thing before we read the final couple paragraphs. When he says the final glory of this house, that's a great example of that now and not yet. Because that house now isn't a building. It's you and I as temples of the living Holy Spirit. And ultimately, God's house isn't our temporal broken earth, or or not just <laughs> this right now, but ultimately what we what we will see and experience in Jesus's return and the glorification and transformation of all things. On the twenty fourth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord of Armies says: Ask the priests for a ruling. If a man is carrying consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and it touches bread, stew, wine, oil, or any other food, does it become holy? The priests answered, no. Then Haggai asked, if someone defiled by contact with a corpse touches any of these, does it become defiled? The priests answered, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai replied, so is this people and so is this nation before me. This is the Lord's declaration, and so is every work of their hands. Even what they offer there is defiled. Now, from this day on, think carefully. Before one stone was placed on another in the Lord's temple, what state were you in? When someone came to a grain heap of 20 measures, it amounted to 10. But one came to a wine press to dip 50 measures from the vat, and it amounted to only 20. And I struck you all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, but you didn't turn to me. This is the Lord's declaration. From this day on, think carefully. From the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day of the foundation of the, that the Lord's temple was laid, think carefully. Is there still seed left in the granary? The vine, the fig, and the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yet produced, but from this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the power of Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and their riders. Horses and their riders will fall, each by his brother's sword. And on that day, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant. This is the Lord's declaration. And make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. This is the declaration of the Lord of Armies. Mm. And that, my friends, is why we read the Old Testament. So here's how I'm going to close it up. I've got five, albeit all in one paragraph, five points that come from the Holman Bible Handbook about the theological and ethical significance of 
the book of Haggai. And I'm going to read them to you verbatim. And I just want you to remember, think about this. How does this apply to us? Every one of these goes, oh, I see how that applies even to us right here and right now. Several reasons can be given for the significance of the temples being rebuilt. And my friends, dare I say that this is why it's important for us to read the Old Testament. First, the temple being rebuilt was a sign of people's priorities. Is God's house our priority? Second, it showed that God was with the remnant and that his promises of restoration had begun to be fulfilled. Do we trust that he's going to do what he's going to do because we've seen what he's already done? Third, it declared God's glory and thus brought him pleasure. Fourth, it served to vindicate the Lord since the temple's destruction had disgraced the Lord's name. Remember, Jesus said, I'm not going to show this wicked generation anything but the sign of Jonah, which is my resurrection. It vindicates his promise. And fifth, it served as a pledge of the new covenant and the messianic age. And the restoration of the temple was this sign that God had revoked neither his covenant with Levi nor his covenant with David and that he will provide the cleansing and restoration through a glorious temple and messianic ruler. My friends, that's you and me and Jesus. And as one scholar explains, they are not just building a material edifice. They are participating in the building and establishment of the kingdom of Yahweh in which the promised Messiah is to reign in glory forever. My friend, you, as one of a kingdom of priests, participating in your local church, by how you give and serve and send is exactly just that. I love you. Amen. Amen.